Welcome to the Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. Week one of college football is in the books. It was as billed, the greatest opening weekend in the history of college football. Also felt like the longest weekend in the history of college football. That Tennessee Appalachian State game feels like it was a whole other season ago. And maybe that's because, at least on my end, and I know you too, we've been awfully busy this week. Yeah, it was pretty chaotic. I, I was in West Virginia, which from, coming from L.A. is a, is, is a bear to get to, uh, when I got home. And we, we made our first foray into Facebook Live shows, bringing the Audible there with our new yeah, site. Yeah, I hope some of you got to check it out. We did three uh, Audible on Facebook Live shows. And it is even more so, it is branded that way, and it, it felt much more like the Audible than I even anticipated. Except the part where I look like I was doing it in a cabana. Yeah, well, we've uh, got some glitches to work out. Yeah, I wasn't. I was in our hotel or my hotel. The room was a little funky. The lighting in there isn't great. And after being up for like 18 hours straight, I wasn't. Uh, I was a little tired. People kept uh, asking if you were in a yurt. I don't even know what that is. It's like a glamorous tent. Who are these people you know that would know that? People on Twitter. Okay. Um, so, you know, this is, this is, uh, I got home on Sunday and, you know, after I kind of was getting, getting just back acclimated, I'm playing, trying to play catch with my two year old son. And, you know, you've been spending a long time around football coaches when you're playing with your little kid and you go, good catch, but you really caught it with your body, but it, it's okay at this level. And my <laughs> sister in law was sitting there. She goes, what do you mean at this level? He's two. And I was like, sorry, I don't know where that came from that, you know, I kind of walked that back. Um, so I got, I got a bushel of Brando stories, most of which I cannot tell here, but one, well, I will get him later. Yeah. Well, one, I should do one quick one though. So after our, our shows on Saturday night, I basically didn't go to sleep because it was one thirty my time when I kind of shut down, I had to leave West Virginia at about three thirty to drive to Pittsburgh. Brando's on my flight to Atlanta Tim and I are sitting there. It's kind of a ghost town at, in the Pittsburgh airport at our gate. And I'm just kind of like looking down. All of a sudden I hear s- somebody go, excuse me, Tim Brando, I hate to do this this early, but I have been a longtime fan of yours for years and years. Would you please sign my leg? And I like kind of looked over and there's Tim Brando signing this man's prosthesis. So... And he was the guy was very nice, and and Tim was you know was very pleasant to him, uh, but it just was like wow, it's kind of I've seen pretty much everything this weekend. So I think uh, from what I've heard, that's actually on the tamer side of the stories. You think Tim signed some breasts? What do you mean? No, <laughs> of the Brando stories you have to share this week. Oh yeah, it, it would be. I mean, you know, but uh, it was a Mizzou fan. He obviously didn't have the greatest time at the game, but uh, he was very nice, and it's good to know that you look. It's good to know that uh, you know some of the people you you I won't say interact with, but you kind of are are people that have the same passion for the sport that you do, and you know they were all connected by it. So from your your perspective, things in LA went pretty smooth. First well, week. it started Friday night at the Stanford Kansas State game. Uh, covered that for FS1. Picked up our buddy Matt Liner at his at his hotel on the way in, and remember thinking. If you had told me in 2005 that this is what I would be doing in 2016, I would not believe you. Um, that was fun. Then I turned around the next morning and flew down to uh, L.A. It was very. Uh, it worked out well. I was able to stream the Houston Oklahoma game on Southwest. Your game as well, but no offense, the uh, Houston one was a little more interesting. Hey, and uh, there's some offense there, by the way. There is some offense. Yeah. Spent the uh, the whole day watching games. We did our Facebook live shows. Um, it was hectic. You do those shows, come back, try to catch some more of the games. And then to wrap it all up, uh, FS1 had me on their Arizona BYU postgame show, which began at 11.15 p.m. Pacific, 2.15 a.m. Eastern. Who do you think our viewers were at that point? Uh, I don't even think your wife was watching. I'm guessing maybe your mom. My mom was definitely not watching. I feel What that show was, I'm guessing, is you know if you've ever been to a Vegas sports book, once the games end, they don't bother to change the channel. So there might have been a few stragglers still watching at that point. Yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, people with sleep issues. Oh, we used to do those at CBS Sports Network, and they would just re-air all night long uh, leading into Brando's radio show. So, so it was just kind of whatever. But, um, 
All right. So one so, of the most enjoyable things about this week, though, and and really made it live up to the hype, is that I feel like the two best games of the entire weekend took place Sunday night and Monday night, just keeping the fun going. Definitely. I, I thought the Notre Dame Texas game, you know. Give you some credit there, Stu, because I took issue with you. I think I changed it to say it was the most intriguing game of the weekend. But it, that one exceeded the hype. I mean, you had four quarterbacks. Uh, three of them played really well. I mean, Malik right. did, Zaire didn't really do much. You know, I think he had three, three, you know, three drives in the first half that yielded nothing. But, you know, Deshaun Kaiser was fantastic. I ended up actually writing, have a story up now on, on FoxSports.com about him. Shane Bouchelle was more than as advertised and and Tyrone Swoops I think to me was one of the better is one of the better stories right now in college football of a guy who has embraced you know he's seen it up and down more down than up in his career at Texas and a lot of people have not been so kind to him in his abilities and he's embraced all the stuff that Charlie Strong wanted him to and he was a star on on uh, Sunday night and I thought that was that's a pretty cool thing and um you, you, what did you have Texas win in nine games this year before the season? Um, in the in the Big Twelve standings, I think I said eight and four, but then I I ramped it up in the in the next weeks after that and said nine or ten. Um, that's why I was so intrigued by this game for exactly what happened. Now I couldn't have guessed it would be this double overtime thriller, but having seen Texas's spring game and been down there in the spring, I had a feeling. You know, obviously, you can't predict how a true freshman quarterback is going to play. But I had a feeling that this big offensive makeover at Texas was going to pay off. Um, and then I was – look, you, you remember when I went to Notre Dame and they announced he announced he was going to play them both, I thought that was a bad idea. And I still think it's a bad idea. I hate the fact that a coach – you know, Deshaun Kaiser comes out and, and leads them down the field to the touchdown. And because of some preordained plan, he pulls them and brings Zaire back in the next series. And that continued for, I believe, three series – before Kaiser finally took over for good. And like you said, he was, it's rare to see a quarterback, you know, he filled in last year when Zaire went down. And I would say, if you were to describe, well, how did he play last season? I would say admirably. I would not not have ever thought he would be in the conversation of one of the top quarterbacks in the country. He was as impressive as any quarterback in the country, at least the first weekend. Now, it's hard to Let's it's hard back. to compare. Well, well it's hard to make. Texas isn't a great defense. Yeah, and yeah. it's hard to make comparisons between him and, uh, you know, JT Barrett throws six touchdowns. He's doing it against Bowling Green. Uh, DeAndre Francois had a, a fantastic debut, but it, you know he's also put in a position where he had to rally back from a twenty-eight-six deficit. So I'm just saying, just pure eye test. Kaiser looked fantastic, but I'm curious your thoughts on. I mean, to me the. The story of the weekend was the freshman quarterbacks, Jalen Hurts at Alabama, who uh, we had suspected was going to play a lot at some point this season. Didn't necessarily think the most of the game against USC. Shane Bouchelle, DeAndre Francois, and even Jacob Eason, though I have to confess I did not see that much of that game. Who impressed you the most? Uh I, I, you know, I, I don't want to hedge it too much by saying DeAndre Francois being a redshirt freshman, it's a little different because you do have the spring. Now, Shane Bouchelle did have the spring too, but, you know, you know he had last year to acclimate a, a little bit. So there's, there's definitely it's a little more of a learning curve involved. Um, you know, I, I thought DeAndre Francois, and I tweeted this out like late in the second quarter. I'm like, people blaming this because they were in a deep hole on DeAndre Francois. I don't see it. His offensive line was getting shredded. The defense had so many busts, and they and they had a ton of penalties. I actually thought he hung in there and took some big shots. I mean, look, when your best player, and that's Dalvin Cook, you know, drops the ball on a, on a sure touchdown, and then you don't score, that's going to take the wind out of their sails. But I thought he was as advertised. I had a guy. Uh, who I really trust on football stuff, who had got had the chance to spend some time in Tallahassee. This is not a this is not a uh, reporter. I think this is, a, this is a coach. Really came away impressed by by not only Francois, but he said Jimbo Fisher knows a lot about developing quarterbacks, and he really has a lot of confidence in Francois. You're going to see it. And that guy texted me in the at the end of the second half. He goes, "This is what I was telling you about." And to me. Um, you know, I, I could see I can see him being a guy who leads a team to a playoff. 
I think he's I think he's got it. Uh, you know, I'm not as sure on some of the other guys. I think it's too soon to tell. You know, I liked what I saw from Shane Bouchelle, certainly. Um, you know, Hertz Hertz was really good. I wouldn't, you know, I think it's a smaller sample size with him, though. And quite honestly, I thought USC had major meltdowns there. It was, to me, USC was the, one of the biggest duds of the opening weekend. You? Yeah, and, and the thing is, you don't, you know, you never know which... Uh, of these opening week results, I mean, will USC end up being a four and eight team, and we'll all say, well, of course they beat them fifty-two to six. You just, you don't know. Um, yeah, I, I have to go with Francois. I mean, and this may sound strange to say, but I, I, Bouchelle was pretty much. I don't want to say it's pretty much what I expected. That's not fair, but it didn't surprise me as much as Francois because if you had said to me before the game, this is how it's going to play out. Uh, Florida State's going to come out and struggle on offense Dalvin Cook will be okay but Francois will struggle but they'll win because they have such a great defense and for the first half it was the exact opposite they never did really get Dalvin Cook going on the ground he actually ended up playing a huge game in the receiving a huge role in the receiving game so for France so it wasn't just that Francois was playing as a redshirt freshman he took the team on his back threw for over 400 yards and I think most impressively did not have a single turnover in his first start. So absolutely, he seems like he has that it factor. Um, but I would also just say that the Florida State defense you saw in the second half was scary, scary good. Uh, they just destroyed Ole Miss offensive line. Demarcus Walker is a guy who we had pretty high expectations for, and four and a half sacks in the first game is a uh, a pretty nice debut. I think they were on the second half too, if I'm not mistaken. Right. At least three of them were. I mean, he yeah. At one point, he looked unblockable. Uh, Chad Kelly, he was rolling at, for a while, and then all of a sudden, it was like, where did he go in the third quarter? And you know, you're a senior quarterback. I'm not saying you know he was the. Uh, you know, you asked about surprise. I think at some point we're going to talk a little more about disappointments. Yes. Uh, you know, for being the guy. I thought that there was just some some empty drives there where it just looked like he didn't have them dialed in, and that was a concern, I think. In terms of the Jalen Hurts factor, um, you know, this is fascinating. A true freshman quarterback has not led a team to the national title, I believe, since um, Jameel Holloway 31 years ago. And but but I feel like if anybody could do it, it's Nick Saban. And um, I watched. I rewatched a bit, uh, quite a bit of that game yesterday, just on the um, uh, the cut-up version. And what's interesting is I don't know if USC just was completely unprepared for a dual-threat quarterback, or they're just not that good. But when he was in the game, when Blake Barnett was in the game, they didn't run the ball very well. When Hertz was in the game, it wasn't just what he did; it was his presence that caused these huge holes to open for Damian Harris. It's it's amazing because we've watched Alabama win four national titles a certain way, and now they're going to try to do it. It's not a completely different offense, but it's it's the same thing that so many other teams have done with a dual-threat quarterback, and is he going to keep it or is he going to hand off? Now that is part of the Nick Saban offense. Yeah, well, I mean, in actuality, all three quarterbacks who are in this kind of mix right now are all more athletic than probably any quarterback Nick Saban has had it. I'm trying to remember back even before, you know, certainly before John Parker Wilson, like who was Alabama's quarterback, even before Saban, you know, it's been a while, but Brody Croyle. Yeah. Brody Croyle was actually a pretty good athlete, but, but, uh, part, uh, you know, you look at Blake Barnett was a guy who was recruited to, to Oregon at one point. He's, he's pretty athletic. Uh, certainly Cooper Bateman, who's like a four, six, five guy as, as athletic, Jalen Hurts is on a little bit of another level from Cooper Bateman, though. I mean, remember, we were talking about the guy who was last, you know, winter. The first time I really heard much from them kind of was when he was the guy on the scout team trying to be Deshaun Watson. And um, apparently everybody said he, he was did a very good job. Now, Deshaun Watson still lit them up. But, um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see how that develops again. I wonder, like you said, how much of this was USC melting down in a spectacular way? Because uh, they had played very well in the first quarter, and then all of a sudden it was just like, all right, that's it. We're out of gas. It just seemed like it all went downhill for SC after the, the infamous Jabari Ruffin uh, crotch stomp. It just, they just uh, melted down from there. And I, again, and let me just throw this caveat out there for everything we're going to be talking about today. You don't want to read too much into one week. You know, 
Stanford last year, great example. But this just kind of gives fuel to the fire of the skeptics, myself included, of why did USC hire, hire Clay Helton of all people? Why did they promote him without really even trying, as far as we know, trying to pursue some of the more high-profile pro, high guys out there? Um, but the, this, is, uh, this, is, this is a mess he's got on his hands. Yeah, our friend Ryan Abraham, I remember this is exactly where I was, riding in his car on the way to the press conference where they were announcing Clay Helton. And his thought was, first of all, it's Pat Hayden is making decisions, and Pat Hayden made a lot of bad decisions, and not that in a relatively short period of time as a uh, USC AD. But one of the things he he thought is, you're making this decision. It's like, well, who are you going to afraid? You're rushing into it. Who are you going to be afraid that that uh, is going to snatch him away? Memphis? You really exactly worried right. that guy's going to go to Memphis? And look, Shea Helton, Clay Helton may turn out to be a really Good coach. I mean, I I can say this. I like him personally. You know, that doesn't mean anything. But um, we'll see. I mean, he's 0-3 for the start. They didn't look good in the bowl game. I think a lot of people thought they'd lose this game. They didn't think they'd lose this game as badly as they did. I know from talking to some Alabama staff uh, since the game, they were shocked at how bad USC looked. And just even from a personnel standpoint, I mean, to me, the most – biggest head turner of all this is that Alabama held Juju Smith-Schuster, who was a guy that Nick Saban compared earlier in the week to Des Bryant, held him to one catch for nine yards. I mean, that's domination right there. When your best offensive player does absolutely nothing, even in a game where it's just, it just turns into a rout, get, you know, he couldn't, they couldn't get him going anyway. Right. So, right. Uh, you know, going back to the Jabari Ruffin uh, cheap shot, and there was a bad cheap shot in the LSU game as well. And were you surprised that that USC isn't suspending him any further? Given that was such a such, I mean, that's more than just a low blow to me. That's that was like one of the worst moves we've seen in a while in a football game. I always think it's a cop out to suspend a guy for a half as opposed to a whole game. But beyond that, you know. We, we live in this age where, I mean, they could have come out and announced a six-game suspension. There still would have been people on Twitter who wanted him, um, you know, put in jail. I would just say this. The standard punishment in college football, and I'm not saying, like, they all got together and agreed on this, but from what I've seen, DUI, one game. Jeffrey Simmons stomping on a woman, one game. Why would we expect a cheap shot penalty in a game to be something much more massive than that? Yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, and I'm not saying that stomping on a guy's junk in the middle of a game is worse than, you know, DUI, you can kill people. Exactly. Jeffrey Simmons pummeled that woman. But let's focus in on your USC. You're the new head coach at USC. You know, you clearly at a player have such a lapse in discipline in a game. Are you sending the message to the rest of your team? Hey, this is not acceptable. Jabari Ruffin, by the way, is just a guy. I mean, he came in with a pretty good recruiting hype, but he hasn't really done much of anything. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's again, Les Miles had a guy who had a had even more violent act after it looked like, you know, essentially LSU was game was you know, over and just body slammed a guy. And, you know, he wrote an apology letter, I guess, or called the guy. But, I mean, do you think LSU was, was and Miles were soft on how they handled it? I mean, I guess I'm going to take flack for this and be in the minority. But I think one game, any sort of suspension, you've taken a game away from a guy, I, th- I think it's a – I mean, if they had just kind of, you know, shoved it under the rug and said, like, oh, you know, he learned his lesson. I mean, come on. They suspended him for a game. And the SEC upheld that. So – I think it's fine. I, I think, but I wanted to get back to something. You, okay, you mentioned the Alabama staff and them being surprised how bad USC was. Well, speaking of the Alabama staff and former USC coaches, this one kind of flew under the radar over the weekend. Our buddy Clay Travis broke the news. Steve Sarkeesian, before he even got to call his first game for FS1, which was supposed to be this coming weekend, joining the, the ever-growing support staff at Alabama reuniting with Lane Kiffin. Um, Nick Stewart, Saban announced it. Gonna, said are you going to miss working with, or are you going to miss working with Sark? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a great run we had together uh, as fellow Fox employees. Now I never saw him. Now, you, now, now though, you're going to have to say full disclosure. If, if Sark ever goes back to becoming an offensive coordinator somewhere or even a head coach, 
Uh, you're going to have to say full disclosure. I was a colleague of Steve Sarkeesian at Fox Sports at one point. Do I? I think How do they, you know, this doesn't happen very often in, in college football, but, you know, in the NBA, like those guys go from being color analyst to NBA head coach and back seemingly every year. Um, it's just not that uncommon. Are you surprised? Are you surprised Saban brought him on? No, because, first of all, he doesn't care what anybody thinks. Yep. I mean, he took way more flack for hiring Kiffin than he than he is for this because you know, Kiffin was his the, offensive coordinator. This is like this is a behind the scenes yeah. role, which he's by the way, Mike Loxley's there. Um, hey, you know. you know what? Get, getting to that point, you go to Alabama, especially if you covered the sport for any length of time, and it will be like a who's who of guys you know. You know, yeah. now guys you can't talk to necessarily on the record, but you know, I ran into Loxley, the old UAB running back coach is there, uh, a former all, NFL GM, uh, Chris Mortensen's son Alex, who is an old Arkansas quarterback, is there. Charlie Weiss's son is there. You know, I know that's just a support guys. That doesn't even mention Bobby Williams, who was the head coach at Michigan, Michigan State at one point. He's off the field now. I mean, all these guys. Um, I mentioned never- on Twitter that. And this is not this is unofficial. This was just me going on their staff directory and their website and counting. But twenty one support staff now in terms of and I and I'm not including the strength program, the nutritionists or any of that, between their player personnel department. Their, the strength program, by the way, has guys that we remember as players. Josh Chapman, I think, is in the strength in the strength program now. I mean, there's a few other former players that are recognizable names who are now. I, I didn't include I didn't include you know, strength coach or video guy because every program has those. But not every program has analysts for every position. And they now have at least 21 personnel guys, ops guys, or analysts. And, you know, there's no rule against it. You got the money. You want to spend it? You can. What do they all do? It depends on the role. I mean, a lot of guys work in recruiting. I think there's a lot of evaluation goes on. I mean, the biggest thing to me is, and I said this uh, on Monday, no program is more committed to playing football at the highest level or committed to what its head coach wants than Alabama. I'm not even sure it's even close. Uh, about seven or eight years ago, maybe maybe it was like six or seven years ago, I did a story for ESPN Magazine about just kind of what we're talking about. It was about the off-field coaches. And the story started out about, you know, go to the website, scroll here, scroll here, and you'll see the directory or whatever. And, you know, I had some some quotes from guys who either worked there or who had worked there or coaches who had been through there to, to visit. And they were like, they have a right tackle coach. They have, you know, it's like the specifics upon the specifics. Story went up. Um, you know, there was, there was definitely some frustration from from rival coaches because other schools definitely had more had a lot of guys too, especially SEC schools. You know more than than the average Power Five or at that point. 16. I did a little looking around, and the, and the one that probably rivals it is Michigan. It's a little harder for me to figure it out well, because now, they, but, they, but now it is. Yeah, they use Harbaugh uses all these different titles that it's not entirely clear what they all do. But it's a it's a big sports staff. Yeah, there's also a lot of guys who are in roles that, you know, they don't show up on the website. But I just remember Jeff Purinton, who who's the sports information director at Alabama at the time, called me up. And I didn't even, I was on the road in Florida. I didn't even know the story was up yet or out. And he goes, hey, you got some time a little later this morning. Nick wants to talk to you. He's not mad at you. He just wants to talk to you. Uh-oh. And I think he must have said he's not mad at you. He just wants to talk to you probably like three different times. And then eventually we had like a, you know, relatively pleasant conversation for 45 minutes about his his reasoning of why he has those guys and what they do and he he didn't have to explain it i get why you want it i get the advantages it brings i mean they are committed on a whole nother level now the issue i don't even call it an issue the, the 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 factor of bringing steve sarkeesian in um you know he was a really good offensive coach when he was at usc and I, th- I think that's going to be a, you know, I think he'll be a positive contributor for that. I mean, is there any part of this where you're like, eh, this could backfire? Um, well, obviously, you know, we don't know. He, every, by all indications, he's gotten his life in order, but he was in a really bad place. And, but, but I guess, you know, if there's a place that you want to be where they would keep you in line, it's probably Alabama. You I mean, would you, be, would you be concerned that, okay, he's, 
you know, he's back with Lane, he's back with Tosh Lupoy and guys who, you know, been around him on the other side of it that, you know. I just don't think there's any room for that. You know, the, the, you know, maybe one of the reasons why SC is in the place they are is that, that there isn't that kind of like, culture. you don't think there's any room Stu. It's not like they're all tucked in in their beds as soon as they go home from, from practice at 10 o'clock at night. Let's not kid ourselves here. Yeah. Okay. No, I'll, I'll <laughs> give you that. There is, I mean, the answer is yes, there is a concern. But this is, again, different than hiring some Lane Kiffin as offensive coordinator. This is a very behind-the-scenes role. You know, and, of course, first of all, it's a great landing spot for Sark because we knew he was going to have to work his way back into this. And now he's at, you know, the most successful program in the country. There is some talk. There's some rumors. There's some speculation, I guess you could put it, that this is Nick uh, anticipating that Lane Kiffin's going to get a head coaching job after the year and getting ready to groom his replacement as O.C.? Yeah, I could definitely see that. And I think, Sark, you know, assuming Sark has is, is gotten his, you know, life sorted out, uh, then I think that that would be a pretty good hire, you know, because uh, just on paper, if he's doing that as an offensive coordinator, I think also with all the guys I know who have, not I don't say all the guys, but with most of the guys I know who have ended up on Nick Saban's staff, uh, they, a lot of them have one aspect of one key aspect they were all really good recruiters and kind of dynamic personality guys i don't know if i would call lane the dynamic personality guy per se but all had reputations as being very good recruiters or very good at one thing and kind of a little bit uh outside the box thinkers and the big thing and i would say this including you know i know mario cristobal for a long time is the structure of nick saban is a is a real big benefit to them in their in their own coaching development and i would say that holds true you know i had a good conversation with lane kiffin last winter about that very thing and about the things he's gained from working under there and certainly sark uh could will will i will really benefit from that so going forward yeah i could definitely see see him as an heir apparent there and 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 it working because I think everybody's worked with him pretty much has liked him. And I know, you know, well, I shouldn't say everybody. Just most of the people I know who've worked with him seem to have really had positive things to say about him. And I should I should just go back and say, you know, I kind of jokingly said what all these guys do. But I do know what they do because I believe three years ago, Andy Staples and I teamed up on a story for SI, the magazine, about these growing support staffs. And we talked to a couple guys who had been analysts there. And they describe what is basically a machine, a recruiting operating machine where, you know, okay, Nick Saban, well, let's start at the, first of all, each, you basically put in a position where each of the nine uh, full-time assistants has somebody that's basically understudy to them. So, you know, they need to recruit, they need to look at recruits, well, it's already ready for them. You know, by the time it gets up to Saban, it's already, you know, he doesn't have to mess with it with anything watching tape that he doesn't need to watch it's already been spliced up evaluated now there's a bit of a gray area it's technically only those nine guys the only ones allowed to evaluate so if anybody one of these analysts were to i don't know hand saving a report on a guy that's like well, some of these, these rules have changed over the years as well about what guys can do and can't do i mean especially when it comes to in this case uh sark can't be on the field really instructing um, Which is what yeah. Tim Beckman got flagged for a couple weeks ago uh, when pictures surfaced of him at UNC practice, clearly uh, coaching a guy. That's a hard. You know what? That's that's, that's something impossible where, to enforce. Yeah, it's really hard to enforce. I mean, when I did this story years ago, and actually now I'm looking at it online, I found it. Um, one of the criticisms was. Which of these schools' compliance staff is really going to enforce this stuff? Right. You know, Rich Rod's staff at Michigan got pressure on some some of these similar things, and it's a question of how. When USC was coming out of their their uh, NCAA sanctions, they really were all over this. I remember Chris Kiffin, Lane's brother, was on Lane's staff, and he really could not be involved with actual instruction and practice. I mean, they were monitoring that kind of thing. And the other thing these guys can do, and, and this is my guess with Sark, is that he's not really being brought in on the recruiting end. But they can do a lot of self-scouting. You know, they can, they can, they're allowed to watch practice. They're allowed to watch tape of practice. What they, about, never mind self-scouting. What chance do scouting? that he had provided some intel for the week one opponent, USC? Oh, come on. No question. In fact, why did it not get announced until after the game? 
Yeah, I mean, look, we knew that this was in the works for a while. I mean, we look, we're, you know, we, you know, truth be told, we all work at Fox, so it's not a shock that this was. Okay, we'll get back to the podcast in a moment, but we want to tell you about one of our sponsors today, and that is SeatGeek. SeatGeek is always the first place I go to look for tickets to a game or concert. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. Everything about SeatGeek is designed to make life easier for sports and music fans. SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you by searching multiple ticket sites and ensuring that you get the best possible deal. SeatGeek does all the work and you save time and money. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. So here's how you're going to get that. Download the SeatGeek app to your phone. Go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code. Enter promo code AUDIBLE, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code AUDIBLE today. All right, well, you know what? Uh, I wanted to get into that topic, but I feel like we've, we've gone down it pretty far, and we've still got so much to talk about from the weekend. You said you wanted to talk at some point about teams that disappointed you, and I'm guessing we should start first and foremost with the team that we both picked to go to the playoff, LSU. Yeah, man. You know, when you 16 were... spots in the coaches' poll. Who cares? I mean, who cares how far they dropped? They, they should have dropped out of the coaches' poll until they proved they, you know, beat somebody and proved that they got their offense on the right track. I mean, I, I don't mean, know. it's not just that they lost to Wisconsin because Wisconsin's a respectable program, top five defense last year, but basically every cr- criticism that Les Miles has had for the last three years, if not longer, and was supposed to, all right, this is going to be. A new era, a new dawn of a new day. Brandon Harris is going to be so much better. They're going to have made some changes to their offense, and then you go out and you lose in that fashion. Where you score, you only score seven points and don't even get two hundred sixty total yards. When you not have for all- two turnovers deep in, well, one was a pick six and deep in territory, they might have gotten shut out. And of course, the game is sealed on a just awful Brandon Harris interception. Nothing has changed in Baton Rouge, and I don't. I don't want to rule them out completely. They're so talented. They should still win games. But, no, this is not the team that's going to contend for the SEC championship. And I think there's, it's interesting, the contrast between them and Alabama. And this was brought up last year, too, when the whole debate was going on about his, his job security, is that you go back to 2011 when they were number one and two and they played each other and it was this 9-6 standstill. Part of it was because they were basically running the same exact it was like the mirror image of each other, just kind of going back and forth at each other, and neither could move the ball. Well, Nick Saban has, has adapted to the times, first with the no huddle. Now he's got a dual-threat quarterback. He's doing all the, you know, a lot of the spread stuff. And Les Miles is doing the exact same thing he was doing in 2007. Okay, Stu, so I'm going to throw this at you, and you tell me. Uh, over under, Les Miles is the head coach at – LSU in 2017, and I put the over-under at 50%. What do you take? I will take the over. You think he's, oh, so you think he's going to be there next year? No, I thought you meant like – no, I don't. I don't think he's going to be there, and I think there's a better than 50% chance he won't be there. But better he, than 75% chance? No, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, look, what if they uh, – first of all, what if it turns out Wisconsin is just a hell of a team this year? I uh, really believe that. I mean, I think they're better than I was going to give them. I mean, I thought they were going to take a big step back. I thought I still think because their schedule is so loaded. Um, it's a tough schedule. I guess what I didn't take account. For, well, first of all, they weren't very good on offense last year, Wisconsin. They didn't run the ball like they usually do. Joel Stave was basically how, their offense. How good were they on offense on Saturday? They didn't do much, but their defense was dominant. Their defense. I guess we thought that with Dave Aranda leaving, it was going to not be quite as good. They looked every bit as good, if not better. Um, no, I mean, it's a tough schedule. But my point is, did you notice the SEC this weekend? There was a graphic that went up on ESPN at the end of the game that I had to do a double take. It was the conference's records over the weekend. The SEC went 7-7. Seven and seven. Now, I should really say 6-6 six and because six, one of them right. was an interconference game. 
And yes, they played a lot more Power 5 teams than others, but this is the conference that likes to thump its chest that it's just so much better than everybody else. 500. Uh, so my point is, I don't know that the gauntlet that you would have thought LSU or anybody else there was going to have to go through is going to be quite as tough as it has been in recent years. Alabama, obviously, that's going to be tough. Give Ole Miss credit for, for what it did to Florida State early last night. I think they'll still be a factor. But Mississippi State on oh, A&M, your, your boys, obviously, pulled out the win against UCLA after almost blowing it. But Mississippi State lost to South Alabama. Uh, Arkansas beat Louisiana Tech by a point. Uh, Auburn does not look like they have any idea what they should be doing at quarterback. I want to say somebody t- totaled it up, and he guess on changed quarterback. 16 times during the course of the game. I, I'm, that's just that's not the exact number. It's just what I something I remember seeing. And then of course in the East, you know, you saw Missouri get their butts kicked. Um, Vandy does not look any any better on offense than I thought. They South did. Carolina, Kentucky loses to Southern Miss. I'm look. They still had three wins over top 25 team, teams. Um, but I mean, is it really unrealistic that LSU would turn around and go nine and three? I don't know. I have no idea. Of course, I don't know that that would be enough to save his job. Mark Rick got fired off 9-3. and three. Yeah, my head is kind of spinning on when it comes to LSU matters right now. Um, I don't know. I, Who I else just... out there looked, win, better or worse, is a team that you said, wow, that was not what I was expecting them to look like? This is not going to be what you're thinking, but I want to get them in. I want to tip my hat to them. It happened on Friday night. Army. Oh, yeah. Uh, went to Temple, beat them by two touchdowns. For people who don't remember this, Temple won 10 games last year. Army lost 10 games last year. And, uh, you know, Matt Rule, the uh, coach at, at Temple, is one of these guys who's a rising star. He was like, they just kind of whooped us on the line of scrimmage. So it's been a long time since Army's been pretty good in football. It would be nice uh, if... Uh, yeah, I would love to see them get, get better, get to a bowl game and... We, yeah, we've seen Navy and obviously Air Force, you know, be very good and post a lot of winning seasons, but Army not so much. So that was one I, I stood out to me. Um, what other things caught your eye? Maybe I don't want to say off the radar, but just kind of like that. Um, off the radar. <laughs> how far off the radar do you want me to go? I don't know. It was a week of football, literally six days in a row. I mean, everything feels kind of like it was all all over the place. App, you know, anything before. Before, well, let's you know, talk about Tennessee. You, you've been hyping them up all offseason. You're a huge uh, Butch Jones believer. I'm a big Butch Jones. Very, very big. fortunate. I mean, they won the game when their quarterback fumbled into the end zone and they happened to recover it. Very fortunate to survive Appalachian State. I will ask you the same thing I asked over the summer. Why should I believe that Butch Jones is going to take them to the mountaintop? I'm not saying the mountaintop. I said the, the mountaintop to me is not winning, and this is not me walking it back. The mountaintop is not is not winning the SEC East because I don't think the SEC East is that good. You outlined plenty of reasons why they're it's not. Um, so, you know, I have them as a as a fringe top ten team at I think number nine. Uh, the reasons why I think they they can be that, and here's why I was kind of like, "Ooh, this is not a good sign." Was the three big leaders that kind of had me sold on this team from this spring. Derek Barnett on defensive line, Jalen Reeves-Maven linebacker, and Cam Sutton cornerback. Uh, two of those guys, Cam Sutton had a big fumble of a punt, and Jalen Reeves-Maven got ejected for targeting. So when you have guys like that who struggle, it's a different deal. The other thing is, and this is a bigger concern to me, is quarterback play. I mean, I love Josh Dobbs' story and everything, and he can make some plays with his legs, but he has got to find a way to get better and more consistent as a passer, or else I don't see, you know, I can see them win nine games. I can't see them being much more than that, although you know, who else is that good at quarterback in the SEC? Josh Dobbs is a great example of if you play in the SEC and you start as a quarterback early in your career, you will automatically get labeled as an all-conference type player. He's never been that great. Um, He did shred Northwestern in the bowl game. But for the most part, he's never looked like an elite quarterback to me by any means. And I don't want to put all the blame on him because, frankly, where where they struggled the most was their offensive line. And I tried to give App State some credit on Twitter, pointing out they were the number 11 defense in the country last year and they won 11 games. And that got, I immediately got just inundated with, 
insinuations that, that I was trying to spin for Tennessee, that I'm one of these SEC apologists and trying to spin for Tennessee, I, I think if you know me, you know that's not well don't you try to all. prop up the sec network at all the time yeah exactly like the guy at fox is trying to prop <laughs> up the sec network uh i was just trying to give app state some credit because i think they're a good team um i'm very i you couldn't watch that and not be impressed with their defense but that being said if you're really a top 10 team a, a possible sec champion is although you know i won't buy that now uh you should be able to handle them and their offensive line got I would say, I mean, I would say they lost that battle for most of the night, and that probably didn't help Josh Dobbs at all. But he made some pretty bad mistakes as well. Um, I'll give you a quick scouting report from the Stanford K State game. Christian McCaffrey still good. Next, no, <laughs> there the one one reason I was I, I thought Stanford would be pretty good this year. You know, their defense was so good um, from you know for a few seasons when they were just shutting down Oregon. Uh, Trent Murphy was there. Shane Scope, great defense. Last year took a step back, and not unexpected with how young they were. Uh, but from talking to Lance Anderson, their defensive coordinator, over the offseason, they felt like this one could be pretty good if a couple of the defensive linemen developed, and they just they just um, completely shut down Kansas State. It was uh, a really impressive defense. Let's keep in mind, Kansas State was pretty bad on offense last year. They were, and, uh, and Jesse Ertz, uh, you know, well, they were counting on him, and he didn't play much last year. But if you had to guess, uh, six weeks from now, will it turn out that Stanford's defense is actually not that good and other teams have exposed it, or that K-State's offense is not as bad as it looked that night? Uh, I think, you know, both, I think K-State's offense will get better. I think they'll find Byron Pringle a little more, the J.C. receiver, but – you know, look, I don't think that was an awesome showing by Stanford by any stretch. I mean, you look, and I don't think this is me, and no disrespect to Stanford, but there were some really questionable pass interference calls in that game that if two of the three went that the other way, I'm not sure Stanford wins that game. David Shaw also pulled a, a Brian Kelly on us. Ryan Burns started at quarterback. and Looked terrific. Looked terrific. He's like throwing darts on third down. So, of course, just as planned, he pulled him on the third series for Keller Christ. And I felt like Ryan Burns was never in that rhythm again the rest of the game. Uh, there was another one I wanted to bring up, and that was somebody that looked a lot. Oh, my boys at TCU. What a months. Oh, they're going to be great on defense. They're healthy. Trust me, Gary Patterson. South, the South Dakota State quarterback just shredded them. And this is the wrong Dakota State, by the way. Uh, this is the one that hasn't won five. These are the, these are the Jacks. Uh, you know, I feel like I know more about South Dakota State than I should. And the reason why. Well, explain it then. Explain okay. to me how they scored 41 on TCU. You know what? I can explain. There's one. Do you remember years ago? This will ring a bell with you. You had a kind of look like a gruff looking D-line coach, which is probably a uh, kind of not an oxymoron. What's the other? What's the opposite of an oxymoron still? Redundant. It's redundant. I'm sorry. It's redundant. Okay. Um, but anyway, he it was a guy putting his his resume out there on social media. Do you remember this? He was a coach at Ball State. Oh I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh gosh, uh, what was his name? I'm gonna blank on it too. He I can was, see he his was face. Using Twitter to basically be like, I'm a D line coach out of work. I need a job, and I, yeah. I gave him a little credit. I gave him a little pub. So 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 his colleague at the time was a guy named Jason Eck, who was a young offensive line coach. Yes. He had he had played at Wisconsin. Very good sense of humor. He kind of reminds me of like a bigger Jason Siegel. Um, but I would always have drinks with him at the coaches' convention. He he's a pretty sharp guy. He's bounced around a bunch of places. He was at Montana State, which is the same school that Dakota Prukop came from last year, and he's there now. And they do a, they they have you know. I, they're a pretty good program. It's just they're not North Dakota State, and that's right, right. that's one of the things. So when I saw them kind of rolling, I was like, you know, good for Eck. I don't think this is going to hold up for four quarters. But, um, you know, you see a lot of games like this where, you know, the, the FCS team or, you know, whatever, you know, kind of – I don't want to say that the the big team just doesn't take them. It maybe does take them a little for granted, no matter what their coach is saying. It kind of, you know, it's a question of you know, can you ever dial it back? And eventually, the TCU found a way to do that. But, Again, uh, I don't try. I try not to overreact unless it's something like LSU where they actually lost. You know, good teams get week one scares, and by the, they play Arkansas this week, so we'll get a pretty good read on them 
uh, you know, we'll pretty get a pretty good read on that defense soon enough. Okay, let's get back to the podcast in a moment. But first, Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loan proudly supports the Audible. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. Hate searching through stacks of old files and paperwork? Lord knows I do. Uh, With Rocket Mortgage, you can easily share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button, helping you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. Even better, Stu, with Rocket Mortgage, you can do all this on your phone or your tablet. It's a quick online process that you can manage from the convenience of your couch. And that's pretty much where both of us work, right? We both are, are use the couch as the office. Yes. Yes. No, so, wait, no. <laughs> you you write everything on your couch. I try to primarily use my desk, but, you know, when you're writing a Florida State looks like a national title contender story during the middle of Florida State game, you are I, – I am doing that on my couch. Okay. So – Like that, if you are looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at Quicken Loans backslash Audible. Oh, my gosh, Bruce. We've been doing this for 45 minutes, and we've yet to touch on arguably the biggest story of the weekend and just complete vindication for you. Houston. Houston. How did we go this long without talking Houston, you've, you, the pres, you, you're the president of the Tom Herman fan club. You told us for weeks they were going to beat Oklahoma, that they are capable of going to the playoff. You, I think you have them as a top preseason top five team, and they look the part. And yet you're going to tell me, I presume, that Houston needs Oklahoma to at least win 10 games and needs Louisville to win nine or 10 games to have any hope, even if they would run the table and go 13 and 0 of making the playoff because the guys in the committee will find a way to crap on them. True. Yes. Well, you know, you don't know what people have said. It's just not as simple as, well, if they go, people always want to say like, if this team goes this record, will will they make the playoff? You don't know what the other contenders are going to be. Are they going to be going up against, one loss power conference champs because that's going to be tough or is there going to be a situation where um the pac-12 champ is 10 and 3 and and whatnot and let's go walk it through a little bit let's say stanford you know loses two games in the pac-12 yet wins the wins the title and they are 11 and 2 and houston is 13 and 0 oklahoma goes on to be a top 20 team maybe they don't win the big 12 clemson goes on to be a top 20 team uh do you think you mean yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, do you think uh, do you think Houston at 13 and 0 should trump a 11 and 2 Pac-12 champ, whether it's Stanford or whoever? I'm I just say if there's a two loss Pac-12 champ, match yeah, that. I'm up. Sorry, I, you're not going to goad me into dealing with absolutes. I'll just say this is how it's going to play out. Um, they need what you just said. They need Oklahoma and Louisville to to carry Turn their weight. And by the way, Lamar Jackson eight first half touchdowns against Charlotte. So that those are those are those are wins that you can't possibly downplay. If Oklahoma turns out to be a seven and five team, then that'll work against them at the end of the season. They also need at least one AAC team, and I don't know who that will be. Probably not Temple, uh, whether it's Cincinnati or Memphis or USF. Or US, somebody's got to be a top twenty-five team from that conference that they beat. At that point, I think they'd be in decent shape, and I think we would find out. Again, they've said it many times. The committee. Four best, not four most deserving, four best. And I don't, you know, they, the, the Florida State team that you saw just roll, uh, not roll, but have this massive performance against, uh, um, against Ole Miss, granted without DeAndre Francois, they beat them in the Peach Bowl handily. They beat, this wasn't a fluke thing against Oklahoma. They went out and took it to them. Granted, that ridiculous kick six played a big part in it. Um, at some point, those people in that room are just going to say, I've watched them play, and I think they're that good. I just think that what it's going to turn into, and it's going to be insufferable, is the SEC people, whoever, they don't play the same schedule we do, da-da-da-da-da, much like Boise a few years ago, and they have a point. 
but the, the thing with Boise was always that they felt like they were they were a very good team, but they were overachieving. Um, also, they didn't play this kind of schedule. They would play one really good team at the beginning, and that would be about that. Also, though, Houston now- looks the part. Houston looks like a, a team that, if you threw them in the Big Twelve, would be one of the best teams, if not the best team in the Big Twelve. Yeah, and also I would say, you know, remind, remember, there's now there's four spots, not two. Yeah, and so that that's that helps you. That's where this system is probably a little bit better for a group of five school than the BCS. But on so the other hand, a- in the BCS, if you went undefeated and there weren't uh, two other undefeated, you were probably going to the BCS title game. The committee, Florida State was undefeated and fell to all the way down to number four at one point two years ago. It's not undefeated as everything in the playoff era, and they are definitely going to look at schedule. And Houston's not going to have the schedule of these other teams, but it's also it's also not uh, – who is it a couple years ago? Marshall. Remember Marshall was undefeated, I want to say, up until Thanksgiving weekend, and they could not crack the committee top Marshall didn't, didn't schedule Oklahoma and Louisville. That's what I'm saying. This is not the same situation at all. That team had a, just a dreadful schedule. This is you play Oklahoma, you play Louisville. Assuming those teams turn out to be pretty good, um, the American is a better conference than the other Group of Five conferences. Last year, there were three or four teams that got ranked at some point in the season. So, I'm I'm fascinated to see what happens. Now, I talked to Tom Herman on Sunday, and he wants to obviously tamper that already, and uh, does not want people going down that road. They play a Thursday night game. They play Lamar this week. Then they play a Thursday night game at Cincinnati. I don't think that's a, a you know, a, a, a certainty, although I think they're better than Cincinnati. But Thursday night games on the road are always tricky. So if they get to 8-0, 9-0, by the time those first rankings come out, I will be fascinated to see how the committee treats them. Um, as of this recording, I don't believe the new AP poll is out yet, but the coaches poll moved them up to number six. That's nice. Um, I don't know. I'm sorry. If you're a two-loss team in a conference and they schedule what they scheduled and we saw, you know, it wasn't like they barely won or it was flukish. Yeah, I don't think two-loss is going to be the issue. I think it's going to be – the one I could see being just a, a infuriating debate will be if an SEC or Big Ten team – Ohio State. you know what? If it's Ohio State from last year, 11-1 and one, – but not against the, the world's greatest schedule and doesn't win their division against undefeated Houston. Yeah, I, I say this, though. After what you've seen now, after what you've seen in the Peach Bowl, after what we saw in the opener against Baker Mayfield and a very talented team, after what you know of Tom Herman when he really had a huge role in helping Ohio State win a national title and beat Alabama, unlike these other ones you're talking about, do you think Tom Tom Herman with a, a while to get prepared? I'm not just talking like a week. I'm talking you know a month to get ready for a matchup against the playoff. Assuming Greg Ward's still healthy, we know that defensive line's really good. I think he gives them a puncher's chance. I mean, I think they would have had a better chance than if you put. And as much as I stumped for them last year, if Iowa went in there to play Alabama, I mean, I th- I would give Tom Herman's team against anybody. Any of these teams, I, I mean, I know they're all going to develop, and I'm sure you know Clemson and Alabama and Florida State or whoever are going to look good. But you know, there's the thought in the back of your mind: this other guy could outcoach these guys. This and Todd Orlando's really good on defense too, by the way. It's you know, a, I, it's a. I mean, of course, of course, that's the case. This is a team that in its last two games didn't just like edge out, but beat pretty handily. Uh, Florida State program that had played either for the national championship or the playoffs the two years before that, and I believe will go on to play in the playoff this year, and then beat an Oklahoma team pretty handily that was in the playoff last season. I would give them a fighter's chance about against, I would say anybody but Alabama. I don't, I don't, I think the talent gap there would be just too much to for any coaching scheme to overcome. Well, Nick Saban has had issues with with mobile dual threat quarterbacks. That's true. I mean, I well, Herman flat out says, you know, no, our, we don't have as good of players as Oklahoma does. The starting twenty two against their starting twenty two is not that bad. Greg Ward's a difference maker. Their D line, and as you've talked about many times, is big time. I mean, that's the one area where you know there are 
good Power Five programs that that wish they had a D line like that. Um, the receivers Tom came up big against uh, Oklahoma. I thought the um, Catalan, the transfer running back, came up uh, pretty looking pretty good. It's a difference. I guess it comes down to that, and this will. I hate that we're getting so into this now because it's going to come up many times if they keep winning. But there's a difference between, you know, if you put Houston in the SEC, how many games would they lose versus if you put them against Alabama or, or Clemson or whoever in a one-game setting, could they win? Yeah, it's a moot point. I mean, you know, that I, I heard I sat in Tom Herman's office a couple of weeks ago and he made the whole point about, you know, top to bottom roster or the, you know, how many guys are guys would have been recruited over, you know, over Oklahoma. What he didn't say and what I wonder if it was in the back of his head is who's a better coach, me or Mike Stoops, when it comes to, you know, that matchup. And those are big deals, especially when it comes to in-game adjustments. And, you know, there are times when his teams don't look, you know, don't look so great. And then all of a sudden, you know, like it happened in the Ohio State game against Alabama. You know, they took over in the second half. One last thing about Houston. This came out at the game, uh, their AD talk, talking to reporters, and I found this pretty astounding, that Tom Herm, there's an agreement that Tom Herman will get a $5 million bonus if Houston gets invited to the Big 12. That's, I mean, obviously that's uh, an attempt to keep him there if they become a Power 5 school. But I just... Um, you know, people sometimes get feel queasy when like a coach's bonus is tied to, you know, very you know, uh, academic, uh, an APR score or this or that. He literally has no control over whether they get into the Big Twelve. That decision might have you know. People keep asking, did the win over Houston help or hurt? I keep saying that decision will be based on far more than whether or not they beat Oklahoma in a football game. So he stands to get five million dollars off what will basically be like. What mood is David Bourne in that day? Uh, before we forget on, on the subject, then I know we talked about this on our on our Facebook show, and I would bring it up again. So you and I have conflicting information on this. Somebody I talk to who I trust more than anybody I talk anybody I know on the Big Twelve issue of expansion uh, surprised me by saying it's he's convinced it's happening that uh, the power brokers, the real power brokers at the Big 12, which are the, are the presidents, want this to happen, that it would, that Houston would be a yes and that BYU would be a yes and it's possible there could be two other schools. They like Cincinnati. I don't know who the other one would be. Um, that surprised me because I think we talked about this a few weeks back. I thought it was in the wind that it wouldn't be, the, that they wouldn't expand because there was nobody that attractive and they would get, gun shy on letting Houston in there for football power status. But I had a couple conversations. This just goes to what we've said all along. Nobody really knows. I mean, I had a couple conversations in the last few days with people who, I mean, look, only the 10 presidents truly know. So it's, they're not one of the 10 presidents, but they are pretty familiar with their line of thinking who maybe an hour before you shared that tidbit with me said that they think David Bourne has changed his mind and doesn't want to expand after all. And that they remain very much of if you had to choose if you had to bet is it going to happen or is it not going to happen they would say not going to happen so everything's still on the table could be no expansion could be two could be four could be and and this is a thing that started to I started to think might be more realistic when you saw who made that cut of eleven schools the idea that maybe Cincinnati and Houston come in as full members. And then BYU football only with maybe Air Force, who's still on the list. Wow. I mean, I'm just throwing that out there because somehow Air Force stayed on the list, but Boise State did not. Um, Colorado State as well in terms of you know that part of the country. I think it's all still on the table, and I don't think they have any idea what they're going to do. And uh, I hope Tom Herman doesn't need that $5 million desperately because He doesn't. He yeah, doesn't. He's, <laughs> because it's... It's sitting in the hands of – that decision is sitting in the hands of people that, as, as somebody told me – somebody told me this, and I think it's a great lesson, and everybody should remember it when they're talking about Big 12 expansion. Don't try to apply logic to a decision that will be made primarily on some combination of hubris, hubris arrogance, and greed. Did you read that in like a fortune cookie or something? It doesn't it sound like a fortune cookie? It a does. Bit? It doesn't sound like something you just pulled out of your ass. I mean, Well, somebody told it to me. Um 
wow, I think we, you know, I'm sure we'll get done with this and be like, oh, we didn't hit that game. But, you know, given how much our world has changed in the last five days, I do feel we, we covered a lot of ground. Always, if you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app and give us a review while you have a chance. If you're curious about the Facebook Live show and didn't get to see it the other night, you can find those archived. We did three of them on uh, on the CFB on Fox Facebook page. Uh, just scroll down a little bit and you'll see videos and you'll see probably some combination of my face and Bruce's and Kristen and you'll know what you're looking at. And next, and in the next podcast, we'll read your emails, so send them to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.